for joy when my heart is heavy Welcome to Creekside this morning. Uh, we're glad everybody's joined us today. We know we've got some folks online too. Welcome. It's good to, to be here today to worship with you. And you know, that, that song is just a re- reminder that even in the midst of trial and struggles and challenges, um, we are still called to praise the Lord. And I hope whatever you walked in here with today, you'll be able to, to do that. Um, just a verse to read for us. It's about singing from Psalm 33 Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Now, to me, that sounds like a lot of joy and a lot of energy. And and so I I hope we're ready to bring that today. You know, um, this first song we're going to sing really made an impact on me this week as I was preparing because it occurred to me that there are Christians around the world who live in places where they're persecuted. They go to secret churches, house churches, they meet secretly. They can't sing loud. They can't even sing at all. Like if they sing a song, they have to whisper it because even their neighbors might hear them and turn them in. And so that, that brought two things to mind for me. One is that we, we pray for the persecuted church. The other is, since they can't sing, we need to sing for them. So if you'd stand up and, and join us as we, as we sing today. Uh, just want to welcome everybody here this morning if you're worshiping online or here in person if you're here in person if this is your very first time uh, in the bulletin or on the bulletin it has an extra flap there if you would just fill that out and we have an offering box that is on the welcome table in the entryway Uh, if you would put that in the offering box that's all we'd ask you to put in there we're just grateful for your presence glad that you're worshiping with us kind of a special day today a couple things uh, going on we're going to have uh, Alan's going to be preaching and then we have a recognition for our preschool but before we get to that I have a few things I need to call to your attention on Wednesday we're having a prayer night here uh, 6 30 I hope you can join us for that next Sunday uh, we're having an official vote on the uh, whether or not to uh, pursue and call an associate in youth ministry. So appreciate if all you who are members and regular attenders, if you'd come and uh, members, you can vote. We appreciate that. Also, I just want to put out a big shout out to everybody who was here yesterday. We had a great crew that showed up for the work day and just got a lot of work done, a lot of landscaping stuff done, a lot of bushes trimmed and the garage organized and all kinds of stuff done inside with a soundboard and uh, all kinds of organization. So thank you very much. Uh, the newest addition to our church family was uh, entered the world on Friday. Uh, Raylan Kate was born uh, to Aaron and Kara Jones, so we're just grateful for her presence and thankful, thankful for that. So I think those are uh, the announcements that I need to call to your attention. At this time, Alan's going to come. So uh, we have a kind of a special morning this morning. Uh, you know, you, as many of you are aware, we had. Kind of some sad news and some change that came about um, after this last school year and that the, uh, 
the Creekside Preschool, which has just been a blessing to a lot of kids for a lot of years. Had to make the, the difficult decision to stop operating. But, you know, what we don't want to do is let this uh, time go by without just taking a moment to pause. We want to reflect on the faithfulness of God, and we want to just have a, a time of thankfulness this morning to, to look back on all that God's done uh, throughout the years in this ministry. And so we're going to hear from a couple people, but just you know, for myself, a personal testimony. Uh, my son Ethan was in the preschool this last year, and he just, he just had just the best time. I mean, every day uh, he would just be so excited to, to go to preschool, to see all his his friends and his teachers, and um, they just had just an awesome ministry and service to the community, and so uh, we're going to miss them. But we want to take this time to just uh, be grateful and hear some, some things about how God has worked over the years. So I'm going to ask uh, first person to come up, Janet Taylor. Come on up. Janet's an original uh, board member uh, uh, of the then All of That Preschool, and she's just going to share a, a little bit about the history and, and how she was involved. What he really meant was Janet's really old. <laughs> um, good morning. Thanks for inviting me to come. Uh, the biggest problem was they only gave me two minutes to talk, and if you know me, you know that's really cutting it awfully short. Give me a microphone. I could go forever about the preschool. It was the spring of 1975 when Linda Tanner, who was a member of the church, decided that she thought we needed a preschool here. So she got together a committee, went to Al Magnuson, who was a pastor at the time, and uh, suggested it. And he said, come up with a, do some due diligence, come up with a proposal, we'll take it to the church board. So she recruited other people, and I got to be one of the people she recruited. And we went to, there were about three other uh, church preschools in the Des Moines area at the time. And so we talked to all of their directors and we actually had a panel discussion here at the church. Um, then we made a proposal, we took it to the church board. And as always, church boards always have to tweak it, and make it theirs. But, <laughs> But they, we then took it to the congregation, and by September of 1975, we had 12 students enrolled. And uh, Evelyn Giesecke was our first preschool director, and she had one uh, teacher working under her. Um, it wasn't long before we had um, the, the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, four-year-old group was growing. And we uh, opened up a Tuesday, Thursday, three-year-old group. And we continued to grow. And before long, the demand was so good, we started a Monday, Wednesday, Friday afternoon four-year-old program, which was pretty cool. Um, we have had some really wonderful directors. Uh, I'm going to name them. Some of you may remember some of these names. Uh, of course, there was Evelyn Giesecke, Judy Dykhouse, Hope Freeman, Sherry Silber, Karen Westman, and the longest-termed one is Connie Keller right there. So. And, of course, we can't forget the teachers, all of those teachers, and including the ones that are here today, and um, a couple board members from, from uh, 
the past too. And all these people worked together to make Olivet and Creekside Preschool one of the best in the Des Moines area. So we thank you. But I have to tell you a story. In those early years, um, we always gave the preschool graduates a, a gift uh, at graduation. And after a couple years, somebody suggested, why don't we give them Bibles? So we decided to give them uh, children edition NIV Bibles. But it was kind of scary because there was a family in the church that had a preschool. We had a preschool student who was Jewish. And we were a little concerned that we didn't want to insult them. Uh, but we went ahead anyway. And graduation came, they all got their Bibles. And about three days later, we got a letter from the, from the, the Jewish family. We were a little, I don't know, a apprehensive about opening that letter, but uh, inside was a really nice letter saying how much they appreciated the preschool and appreciated the Bible. And not only that, they gave us a $50 check to help pay for those Bibles. So, you know, God is good all the time. And we just thank you for, for continuing to support the preschool after all of it disappeared and we had uh, Creekside Christian Preschool. Thanks, Janet. <clears throat> um, Connie, Connie, come on up. As Janet said, Connie was the, the longest serving director and she's just going to share... Uh, kind of recognize some of the teachers and staff that made uh, it such a successful program. Thank you. Thank you. It's very um, bittersweet to be standing up here because I'm usually up here sending our graduates on their way, which is always fun. I would like to say that we gave out Bibles again this year. Thank you, Creekside. And so we continued those, that tradition. Um, I was thinking about what I could say, and I would like to say thank you to Creekside Church as a whole. There's uh, several individuals I'd like to point out, and if I don't say your name, that doesn't mean I'm not grateful for you. It just means that I'm nervous and I'm, I forgot you. But um, Ken Taylor has been a backbone to our preschool for all these years. And I used to tease him and say, Ken, sometime I have to text you and just say, hi, Ken, how you doing? Have a great day. Because I was always texting him, the toilet's broken, Ken. The water's not working, Ken. But he always fixed everything. Thank you, Ken. I would love to thank the WMO ladies. They were such a constant support to all of us. Our children had a constant supply of stickers, pencils, notepads, paper, anything like that. And the kids loved it. It was like it made them feel so rich. And uh, Betty Billings, we tried to get all your address labels out, but you might get on some mailing lists, and I'm sorry. <laughs> she gave us about five million mailing labels. I'd like to thank Rod and Paula Foster. They've been with the preschool since we were at the old building. Um, I, it was Caitlin who came to us at three, and it was their granddaughter, and they've just been faithful friends of the preschool ever since, so thank you. Um, uh, I do have staff members here today. Uh, half of them are here. I'd like to recognize all of my staff members. I'll start with Tammy Fry. She was with me for 16 years, I think. Um, I started in 99, so I think that's, what, 23 years, something like that. And then uh, Tammy joined me about 15 years ago uh, as my associate, as my classroom associate, and we've worked together really well for all those years. She's home with a sick child this morning. And then uh, next in line would be Paula Adams, and she joined me 
12, 12 years ago? Yeah. And um, we go way back, only we didn't know it. Turns out that I student taught Paula's husband <laughs> in 1980-something, you know? And, uh, and he's a principal of a Des Moines public school now, so I, I'll take credit for that. So thank you, Paula. And then Kat Gonzalez is not here this morning. She's not able to be here. And she joined us uh, 11 years ago. And she, she has just been such a blessing to the school. She came on as an administrative assistant. Then she became a three-year-old teacher. And then she took on the whole three-year-old program. And then she needed to step back from that. And she became back to the administrative, administrative assistant, but continued to run the three-year-old program. Just did a tremendous job. Uh, Megan Cook is not here this morning. She joined us two years ago, but I'm going to couple her with Carrie Brockman because they came on at the most awful time and did the most fantastic job and had the absolute weirdest job, um, do you want a job question from me in the world. Okay, it's COVID, and we don't know if you're going to have any kids, and we don't know if you can come, and we don't know if we can pay you, and we don't know if we even have a job for you. But in case, all of everything, and we don't all die from COVID, do you want a job? And, and they not only said yes, but they came in, and they were rock stars. So thank you very much. Um, did I get everybody? Yeah, I think so. I have some board members here today. Uh, Kathy Stretzenberg is here. What do we call you, the board emeritus? I think something like that. <laughs> She's been everything. She's been a preschool parent. I think all of her kids graduated from Creekside or, or Olivet Preschool. She's been on the board. She's been a teacher. Um, and she's just been a rock star with our, our school. Nan Hahn is our current board president. She's with us here today. Uh, Heather Babcock is here as a board member. Thank you for coming. Christine is here. Nice Warner. She's a she's been a board member for several years. Debbie Clarkson is a board member. So these are the women that have really helped, particularly these last few years that have been difficult making decisions in um, with un in uncharted water, to be honest, and uh, have really helped us through all of this. So all in all, um, just. Thank you for your support all over all of these years, and you've been a blessing to us. Amen. Thank you. Well, uh, Steve's going to come up. He's going to say a prayer of thankfulness for the preschool. And also, we are just inviting you all after the service uh, today that there's going to be some refreshments, and you can have an opportunity to just stick around and, uh, you know, have, say thank you or have some time of fellowship with, uh, with some of those that served uh, on, on the preschool and with the preschool. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the many years faithful service to Christ through uh, the many people who were involved in the preschool over those years. We thank you for the young lives that were touched and the families that were impacted and will never know probably fully uh, the impact until one day in glory but we thank you so much for for those who've been a part of it and we ask that you would continue to bless and enrich them many you know uh, had jobs and now they don't they're looking for another job and others were involved in in ways of helping the preschool help them to find the, the new calling and the new direction for them and we commit them into your hands we thank you for the partnership that we've had over the years and pray for your your grace and your encouragement in their lives now 
as they, they move on from the preschool and as we uh, find direction uh, without the preschool here too. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been uh, going through a summer series titled Compelling Faith in Uncertain Times. And today we are going to be in Joshua chapter 2. Let let me just uh, again open us in prayer. Father, just bless our time together. Open our, our eyes and our hearts to your word. Encourage us, renew us, strengthen us. Lord, we do. We live in uncertain times, and we need your, your guidance, your help every day, every week. Um, Lord, we confess that our, our faith sometimes feels pretty small, sometimes feels weak. Um, we just pray that you give us courage and strength as, as we look at this example today um, of this great woman of faith, um, an unlikely uh, person that you used for your purpose. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to read you a quote. It goes like this. I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country. Now, some of you can remember who said that, but if you can't, I'll refresh your memory. That was from a Mr. Nathan Hale, who was a soldier in the Continental Army during the Revolutionary War. Uh, which means he was fighting for the United States, the the new uh, nation. Uh, He volunteered for a dangerous mission. He was going to go across enemy lines uh, into uh, territory that was controlled by the British uh, Army, into Long Island, and uh, unfortunately his, his mission did not last very long. His first uh, mission as a spy also became his last, and he was captured and, and put to death uh, where he uttered his famous words. And today there's a statue of Mr. Hale that it, you could find on the campus of uh, the CIA, CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia. Um, but today we're going to look at another kind of a spy story, a little more ancient Uh, but not any less dangerous than the mission that Mr. Hale set out on. And a mission that could have ended just as badly, uh, if not for the remarkable actions of uh, an unlikely heroine. Um, Turn to Joshua chapter 2. I'm going to start reading. And again, our series on on compelling faith, you know, we've, we've looked at Abraham, we've looked at Daniel, uh, we've looked at Hannah, and now we're coming to, again, someone who seems a little out of place, a woman who appears to have nothing in common with with some of these other people that we've looked at, doesn't come from the same pedigree or privilege or background. She's a prostitute, a Gentile, a member of a city-state that was soon coming under God's judgment. And yet, what we're going to see here is that this is a story that's rich with lessons on the kind of faith that God rewards. So I'm going to start reading, read the first uh, seven verses. We're going to look at three scenes uh, that reveal the kind of faith that God rewards. So the first scene starts like this. It says, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, 
saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So Joshua, in the beginning of the book of Joshua, he is about to commence on this great military campaign. Uh, Moses is, has passed away. The mantle has been, has been passed down to Joshua, who is the new leader and the commander of the Israelite army, and God has given them a charge. You are going to go into the land, and you're going to take it. And so Joshua starts this military campaign the way that many military campaigns are started, and, and, and he wants to, he needs some intelligence, he needs some information. And so he, he pulls aside a couple of trusted men. You know, I, I'm assuming that uh, these men were maybe some of uh, Joshua's best, most trusted uh, soldiers or fighters um, that he could entrust this very critical uh, task to. Now, I don't think that you can look at this and say, well, Joshua didn't have faith in God. Um, you know, God in our faith, um, God calls us to use our, our resources, right? Um, is not calling us into a blind faith. He's not, you know, and, and Joshua doesn't know yet. Joshua doesn't know that they're going to show up to, to uh, the city and march around it and the walls are going to fall down. You know, he's thinking, we need to scout this place out. We need to see, you know, what are its strengths and its weaknesses? What are the things that we need to be aware of so that we can do our best um, to fulfill the mission that God's calling us to? And so he sends out these two spies and uh, you can see echoes of Numbers 13, the first time that Israel, 40 years earlier, had, had come right up to the same spot. And Moses had sent out 12 spies, one, one from each tribe, kind of representing each tribe to go. He said, go look at the land, right? And go see what's in it. And so you can see some echoes here. It's interesting that Joshua only sends two. I think there could be some influence there from the fact that uh, on the original 12 that spies that went out, there were only two that came back and gave a good report. One of them was Joshua and the other was Caleb. Um, but he says, go and, and view the land, especially Jericho. Now, Jericho was a kind of a strategic city. It is actually one of the oldest cities, um, maybe, maybe the oldest cities uh, that they, archaeologists have kind of dated and, and worked, worked out and, and found evidence. And, and it is famous for its, its kind of its structure, its walls. 
Um, and it also is, was strategic in the sense that it was fed uh, with, with springs, and so it, it was a difficult city to take. It was a good city to be in if you were defending a city uh, because you could close it up and feel like we're protected by these walls, we have a clean source of water, um, it's going to be a difficult place to capture. And so it was a strategic place to, to begin this military campaign. And so we see this, this spy mission starts out, these two, these two men go out, and unfortunately, it doesn't, start very, it doesn't start out very well. I mean, no sooner do we find out, you know, that they, go, they make it to Jericho, um, they try to find an inconspicuous place to stay, you know, they, they were, I think, hoping that, hey, you know, if they, if they stayed at the house of this, of this prostitute, that they could just kind of go you know, unnoticed. Like that made it, that was not something that maybe would have been thought of as unusual to have strange, you know, travelers stopping by and visiting this house. And yet it says, it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, these men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. So, you know, it doesn't say how they were discovered. Um, I think that this king was probably a little paranoid. He was probably, you know, watching carefully for any kind of um, strangers or, or people coming, and, and somehow um, these, these two guys were discovered, you know, whether it was a neighbor or, you know, someone that saw them enter the city and said, hey, these guys are not here on a friendly mission, okay? And so not only does he know that they're there, he knows where they're staying. So he says, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land, and he sent to Rahab. And he said, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. So he knows what their mission is. He knows where they're at. This is not looking very promising. This is not looking very good. I mean, if you were reading this, you're thinking, these guys are toast, all right? And it is not a good thing to be captured as a spy, right? Because probably going to be tortured or treated very badly to try to figure out what you know, what you're about. Uh, and so this is not looking good. But we see just kind of this, this amazing sequence of events here. Um, again, without knowing anything about this woman, all of a sudden we see her start to make these really unexpected moves. In verse 4, the woman had taken the men and hidden them, and she said, true, the men came to me. I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where they went. Pursue them quickly. You will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as the pursuers had gone out. So the first, this first scene, I want you to just spotlight on and think about the fact that God rewards a risk-taking faith. Now again, we still don't even know anything about Rahab. We don't know why she's taking this risk. And, and the way that this, this uh, narrative is structured, it's like the writer of the book of Joshua is trying to build the suspense. Because all these questions are coming up in your mind. Why? Why is this woman taking this risk? Why is she doing this this really brave and unexpected thing. Why is she risking her own life to save these, these two strangers? 
Um, but what we're going to see is that God rewards a risk-taking faith. You know, it was cool to hear Janet sharing about, um, you know, this, this idea that probably seemed crazy uh, at the time to, to some people, right? Like, what? We're going to start a preschool? Um, and, you know, I think about, you know, different, you know, different crossroads you come to in your life where you're just really unsure of which way to go. And I know my inclination is a lot of time to take a very safe uh, path. Um, I don't, I don't feel, always feel comfortable um, stepping into to things that feel risky. Um, and so we have a lot to learn from Rahab here, that she takes this incredible risk um, to do something that seems inexplicable. But we're going to find out. A little bit more, starting in verse 8, the second scene from 8 to 13 goes like this. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord." that as, vi as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And so she makes this amazing confession that really is all centered around the actions and the identity of God. Okay? Listen to some of the things that she says. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now you think, how? How does she know that the Lord has given them the land, right? Didn't this have to feel kind of strange to these, these two Hebrew spies from this, from this Canaanite prostitute, right, telling them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and, and she doesn't just, uh, just say this without any reason. She gives two very specific and compelling reasons for her conviction that God had given them the land, right? So she highlights, she talks about the Red Sea. Verse 10, she said, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. So, you know, this event that had happened 40 years earlier, um, had to have reverberations throughout the area, right? I mean, you don't just, you don't just have the army of one of the most you know, powerful uh, nations on the earth, the Egyptian army decimated, without that becoming news that spreads, okay? And it had spread. It had, it had come to Jericho. And it was, the way she talks about it, it's like this is common knowledge. Yeah, we know what happened at the Red Sea, that God brought the Israelites across, that he delivered you out of Egypt, that he destroyed the Egyptian army. And, and 
you know, this is amazing to think about that this woman, you know, apart from, you know, any really specific or detailed knowledge, um, really this is just through kind of like hearsay, right? And, and kind of news that's passed in the ancient world from person to person to person. And yet she hears it and she says, you know what? That is amazing. You know, there's this people whose God brought them across the Red Sea. And then she points to their military victories, which, which was more recent. But what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destru- destruction. So again, these military victories, crossing the Red Sea, all these things pointing in her mind to this kind of amazing conclusion that, you know what, I need to pay attention to the God of Israel, okay? And I, and I think it is so amazing to compare and to contrast the way that Rahab approaches this and the way that the original Hebrew spies approached it. So I want you to just hold your, hold your thumb in Joshua and go over to Numbers 13, because I just think, let's just, let's hear some of the words of the first uh, spies that came to the land. In Numbers 13, starting in 25, says, At the end of 40 days, they, talking about the 12 spies from the original mission, returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. I like the picture that it was like they were loading up the, you know, the cart with like good Iowa July produce. I had my first sweet corn yesterday, and it was delicious, all right? Um, you know, they, it talks about these, these huge, you know, great, you know, like branch just laid it down with grapes, but I mean, just all of the produce and the, and the like good of the land. And so that seems like, man, that's awesome. That is great news. But then in verse 28, it says, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. And so here, here you have these people, okay? They didn't just hear about the Red Sea, they experienced the Red Sea. They saw the salvation of the Lord. They walked across on dry land. They saw the mighty Egyptian army destroyed. 
This was not secondhand reports. They lived this, okay? And think of the, all the advantages they had over Rahab, okay? They were part of God's covenant people. They had the revelation from God. They had his very, you know, words. They had the tradition passed on from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, all these things, all these things they had that Rahab didn't have, okay? And yet they were paralyzed by fear. They would not step into the land. I mean, two out of the 12 said, let's go. Let's do this. Let's take this. God is on our side. He's mighty. The rest of them, it's like, you know, they like, we're grasshoppers. You know, if, if we step into this land, these, you know, they saw these great warriors that were tall and strong, and they're like, we're just going to get smushed, okay? Um, and, and that's all they can focus on. And so I just think, man, it's just amazing to look at that here is this, here's this woman, not just, not just an outsider in the sense that a Gentile would be an outsider, right? Also an outsider to me, you know, you think of by her profession, uh, you know, generally women who, who are working as a prostitute is an act of desperation, right? Um, and and to, to be a prostitute is to be like an outsider among the outsiders. I mean, you know, the fact that she lived uh, in a house that connected to the walls, just kind of a, another kind of stark reminder that she was on the outskirts of society, right? She didn't have any privilege. She didn't have anything that would have made you think, here's a woman that God's going to use. Here's, here's someone who is going to have some, some special insight into what God is doing. And yet here it is. And so this is just, uh, I think that God re- rewards a reverent faith. And, and you see this confession that comes out um, that's just amazing in, in verse um, in verse 11, as soon as we heard of it, she said, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. He is Lord above. Um, he is Lord of the heavens above and the earth beneath. Just this idea, this confession, she's basically saying, he's the king of the universe. He's the one who created the not only... Uh, this world, but the, the heavens. You know, the one who can dry up land so that people can cross, you know, walk across the Red Sea, he has to be the ruler of the world. And so she, she's, she's making this confession, and I'm reminded of, of Hebrews eleven six. 6. It says, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And here's, here's, to me, this is like prime example. Here's a woman, far from any privilege or, or uh, advantage that we can ever dream up, right? Living week to week um, in the most desperate way possible. And yet, she, she has a heart that wants to draw near to God. And she believes that he exists, right? She just, she sees the evidence in front of her. And it's just like a sliver of evidence, just, just a small little piece of evidence. And she grabs onto it and said, and says to herself, that is the God that I want to serve, right? I want to be a part of the people that serve a God that can dry up the sea so they walk across. 
and you know, I, I'm, I'm reminded of like the story of Ruth where, uh, you know, after her, her husband dies and Naomi says, you know, you need to go back to your people. Ruth says, no. She says, I am going to stay here. You know, your God is going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. And what we really see here is that Rahab is making the same kind of a statement that your God is God and, and, and it's evidenced by her actions. I mean, what she has done is basically committed treason against the city of Jericho and basically become a third spy, right? I mean, she's like tied herself into their mission. So if their mission fails, she fails. Um, if their mission succeeds, succeeds, then she has a request. She says, as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with me. And she kind of makes this, seems like a bold request, like, like not just for herself, but she says, swear to me by the Lord that as I, if I have dealt kindly with you, you'll deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So she, she sees the evidence and she holds on to it. And it's really the essence of faith to say, you know, what God has revealed of himself is what I'm going to hold on to. And sometimes we think that, you know, we, we, we talk about like, well, what do people really need to know to be saved? And it may be less than we think sometimes because God will just take a kernel of faith of someone who says, man, I see God working and I want to, I want to be attached to that. And it doesn't mean that, that she was going to stay there, right? Because we're going to see just this, this trajectory that her life goes on that she couldn't have ever imagined. But just a little bit of knowledge of the true God, that's all it took. And, and God rewarded it. So let's look at the third scene starting in verse 14. Up to this time, we, we haven't heard anything from the spies, right? We know they, they're staying at Rahab's house. Uh, we've heard this, this long explanation from Rahab. And I, I picture them just like sitting there in stunned, you know, like, whoa, what just happened here? Um, verse 14, the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. 
So these soldiers are just like so moved by the bravery of Rahab. How, you know, she's basically put her own life on the line to ensure their safety. Um, and, and, and just a, a, a very tiny sidebar here. Some of you are thinking like, well, wait a second. Are you just going to like skip over the fact that Rahab had to tell a lie uh, to save these guys? So, no, I'm not going to skip over it. But what I will say is um, you can read a lot of different opinions on this. And you, you're going to have some people that say, hey, this was wrong for, for Rahab to tell a lie. Okay? And, and it's just an absolute that, uh, you know, you don't accomplish God's ends by telling a lie. Um, and that, you know, those, those people will say, you know, God, this just shows, again, God's grace on top of grace um, to save someone. And also shows uh, the fact that she was, she's never uh, judged by this in Scripture, um, kind of indicating that, you know, God is going to work with what a person knows, Right? She didn't grow up with the Ten Commandments. She didn't grow up with uh, this vast understanding of what God was requiring of people. She was, she was in survival mode. You're going to maybe read some other commentators who say, well, um, you know, in this, in this situation, um, by renouncing her citizenship uh, to Jericho and by becoming part of, of God's people and, and really joining into this military operation, they're saying she's joining into a military operation that God had commanded. And in, in, in the arena of military strategy, um, you don't tell your enemy your plans. You don't give away willingly uh, what you're planning to do. So I'll just, I'll just leave that. You guys can think about it. Um, about, you know, it's, I'm going to say it's not like an easy answer. But it, it, it kind of is beside the point because, again, all the references you read about Rahab talk about her great faith, okay? None of them focuses on, on the fact that, that she told a lie to, to save them, okay? So again, just God's gracious dealing with Rahab uh, with where she's at. But the, the, these men give her, basically they say, okay, we'll do what you say, but, but we have three requirements, Okay? In verse 18, they say, you're going to have to tie a scarlet cord in your window. And I'm kind of reminded of, you know, you watch the spy movies and they sit down next to each other and they kind of like have their secret little codes, right? And that's basically what they're doing here. They're saying, hey, you know, your, your code, your signal, um, you know, we know where your house is, but there's going to be other, other people uh, involved here. We need you to, to put out a signal that says, who you are, okay? And this signal was really saying, like, I'm a part of this, you know, I'm a part of God's side here. I'm not, not the enemy. And so that was the first thing. The second thing they said is you need to stay inside. You know, when this all goes down, you need to stay inside your house, okay? That is your shelter. And it, to me, it, it kind of reminds me of, like, the story of when Israel goes out of Egypt and, and it's Passover night and Everyone was locked inside their house and, and they had painted their, their doors with the, the blood on, you know, above the door and on the side. And, and God's saying, I will pass over you. It's kind of, kind of the same, same concept, the same idea. And then the last thing 
they tell her is that you are sworn to secrecy. And again, this kind of comes back to what we see in the very beginning of the chapter, that Joshua sent them out in secrecy. And now these guys are saying, Rahab, you need to keep quiet. You need to keep secret. And so again, that kind of lends itself to this idea that part of, of their mission required this, this secrecy, okay? Um, because again, they're still stuck in the city, right? They're, they, they may have like diverted uh, the king and his men, but you, know, you can kind of picture in your mind like maybe they're going to find out pretty quickly that they've been, been misled and be back. And the doors are shut. And in a city like, like uh, Jericho, when the doors were shut, you know, and you see later in chapter 6, the door, it says the doors to Jericho were shut and none could enter and none could leave. And that's kind of where they're at right now. But but Rahab just really shows her resourcefulness. And she says, right away, she has a plan. She says, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to sneak you out of the city. And this probably happened at night under the cover of darkness. But, you know, she, she had a house that was situated so that she could help them out, that she could, could lower them down, get them to safety. And she, she, she tells them, you know, you guys, you need to head not in the, in the direction that you would be expected to go, which would be east, uh, back to, to towards the river, and, and actually where she had sent all the, the king's uh, men, you need to go to the west. You need to head to the hills, to the west of Jericho, and you just need to camp out there. You need to stay there, let things simmer down, and then you can make it back. And so, you know, James chapter 2, he kind of points this out, um, that this is just an evidence of Rahab's faith. It's he, in his, James's famous example of how, you know, James says, faith without works is dead. And he gives two examples, Abraham and Rahab, right? He's like, chooses the polar opposites. He says, Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. And so, you know, she doesn't just, she doesn't just have this knowledge about God and, you know, just let it simmer inside of her without doing anything, right? Her faith moves her to take action, right? She hides the men, she devises a plan, she gets them out of the city. All these, all these steps, you know, informed by what she believes. And so kind of just like a challenge to me, like how many times do I think, yeah, you know, I know the truth. Am I like, am I like the spies that went into the, to the promised land the first time and said, wow, this is really great. This is awesome. Um, but eh, I don't know, you know, like can God really deliver? Can God really save? And, and faith, you know, if it's genuine, it finds its way working out into our life by the actions and the priorities and the decisions that we make. And, and I love the, the way that this, this section closes um, where the, the last uh, thing, you know, so she does these things. She gets the spies to safety. She, she tells them which way to go. And then in, um, in verse uh, 21, it says, she sent them away, and they departed. And then it says, right away, she tied the scarlet cord in the window. I mean, she didn't really need to have the cord in the window until they came back, right? Like, she probably had some time. But she was just like, 
she was focused on like, I am going to follow what I need to do. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to do it right away. She ties the scarlet cord in her window. And just kind of this faith that like, she had, she had faith that these spies are, you know, if these spies got killed and just disappeared and the Israelite army came, no one knows about this, this arrangement. No one knows about this scarlet cord. She had faith that God was going to keep the spies safe that he was going to send the spies back to Joshua, and that Joshua was going to honor her request. And so, you know, we look at this whole story, you know, these three scenes, that God, God rewards a risk-taking faith. God rewards a reverent faith that's based on a knowledge of who he is. And God rewards um, just, just this, this trusting in his redemption, right? Trusting in that he is going to follow through on what he has promised. Um, it's really this ultimate story of God redeeming the outsider and the outcast, and that's what Rahab was. Um, and so, you know, as we, as we tie this back to us, we say, you know, I remember Romans 10, 13 says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's Rahab, right? Not someone who you'd expect, okay? Um, and, and maybe sometimes we need to, to, like, check ourselves, like, you know, we get these ideas, like, who's God going to save? Who's God going to work with, you know? And maybe we have our own ideas of who that's not going to be. Maybe it's a certain politician or a certain, uh, someone from a certain ideology or a certain background, um, who we think, you know, God's not going to use them. And, you know, we need to see the story of Rahab that God is not limited to who he's going to save. God's not limited to the grace that he's going to show. Um, he, he wants his salvation to reach to the most unexpected places. And, you know, I think about us, it's like really, we're kind of in the same situation that Rahab is in. I mean, we live in Jericho, so to speak. Um, we live in a world that is one day going to pass away. We live in a world that's one day going to be judged by God. And so what are we going to prize, right? Now, if Rahab gives up the spies to the king, she kind of becomes the, the celebrity of the city, right? She becomes, you know, not the, not the prostitute, but she becomes the person who turned over these enemies to the king, right? You can imagine her um, being rewarded and celebrated and kind of given the seat of honor for what her people would have viewed as kind of a heroic act, right? Um, and, and, and Rahab, she's looking beyond like the short term. She's like, this city, this city is going to be destroyed. It's going to be judged. Um, you know, she's kind of like, like Moses who, who said, you know, there's something better for me than the temporary uh, esteem of Egypt. She is, she's looking forward to, to something that's going to last. And so what are we going to prize, right? Do we prize the temporary praise of this world? Or are we saying, you know what, I really belong to a different country. I belong to a different kingdom. Um, you know, I'm not going to seek out the, the pleasure of the king of Jericho, the pleasure of the kings of this age. 
Um, because there's a king who is Lord over heaven and earth. He's the one I'm going to serve. He's the one I'm going to, I'm going to put my trust in. Um, you know, we're going to take communion, which is uh, a symbol of what Jesus has done for us. And if you belong to, to Jesus, um, this, is, this, is like that, this is like that scarlet cord out the window, right? This is like um, proclaiming that we are His. And, you know, we're not saved by the bread and the juice, but the bread and the juice are a symbol of what has been done for us. And, you know, the fact is that, that Jesus came and no matter what has happened in our life, right? Some, there could be some here that says, I don't deserve God's, God's grace. I don't deserve God's uh, mercy. And this is just like a reminder week after week that there's nothing that we could do that would take us outside of God's reach to show mercy and grace and love. And, and so we, we come and we say, God, you know, I'm going to take this and I, I just want to be thankful for what Jesus has done for me. Um, I want to be th- thankful that he didn't, he didn't need, uh, you know, my works. Like the best I could do uh, is, is so small compared to what he has done for me. Um, I'm not saved by it. I'm saved by, only by the mercy of God and what he's done for me. So, um, the band's going to come up, and we're just going to take a moment to thank God. If you're, if you're a believer in Christ, we welcome you to come up during the song and to take the bread and the, and the juice uh, as, as a way of remembering Jesus. Father, uh, we just thank you again for what, uh, just this amazing picture, this, this woman Rahab, who who shows us what it looks like to have a risk-taking faith, a reverent faith, um, who shows us what a faith looks like um, from an outsider, and just the amazing redemption that you have showered on, on each one of us if we have trusted in Jesus. Uh, just remind our hearts of the goodness of God, of the grace and the mercy of Jesus. We pray that we would not take this... Uh, this lightly. Um, Lord, help us to just to, to reflect on what you have done for us, to confess our sins, and to come uh, and just boldly participate in this, in this free gift um, that Jesus has given. If there's anyone here who has never bowed the knee to Jesus, who has, has not um, realized that they live in a, in a world that is um, condemned, Father, I just pray that that you would help them to repent of their own sins uh, and to place their faith in Jesus, to, to tie that, that scarlet cord um, that says, I belong to him. Uh, it's in his name we pray.